As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. All right, welcome to the latest edition of Hear That Podcast. Growlin, Paul Eater Jr., and Jay Morrison of The Athletic. Excited to be with you here on a Thursday, Jay. Uh, a lot, a lot, lot, lot to get to here in a short amount of time, so we want to dive into it. But excited to be here on a Thursday because we start with fantastic news. Um, yes. Just awesome news that came from the Buffalo Bills just before we started uh, this is directly from the Bills account. Per the physicians caring for Damar Hamlin at the University of Cincinnati Medical Center, Damar has shown remarkable improvement over the past 24 hours. While still critically ill, he has demonstrated that he appears to be neurologically intact. His lungs continue to heal, and he's making steady progress. We're grateful for the love and support we have received. Um, just incredible news. You know, awake, neurologically intact, lungs healing, all the stuff that you hoped uh, that you would hear. And now, um, man, just awesome, just awesome news that everybody has been hoping to hear. Yeah, it's it's great. And, and, and maybe the the most encouraging word in that statement was physicians. It, it, I know this is coming from the bills, not from the physicians directly, but it, it feels like everything we've heard so far has been family members and you don't want to discount them. Um, but, you, you know, you're always kind of cautious about how much of it is is just optimism and wishful thinking and how much of it is actual medical progress. And this this feels like the most tangible progress and, and it absolutely reason for excitement. Um. More on it was saying that Tamar Hamlin opened his eyes last night and is responsive. And Ian Rapport was reporting that he's gripping the hands of those close to him at this point. He's all this yeah. stuff. So good to hear. Um, it will be so uh, great uh, to hear, you know, when, if this continues going this direction, you know, he could be discharged. I want to start myself um, by repeating what uh, everybody that I think we've heard from over the last 48 hours has said, and that is uh, just a massive thanks to the first responders, to the medical team, to everybody that's been connected to this, to everybody at UC Medical Center. 
which has obviously done an incredible job to get to this point even. And uh, so just, um, man, we got some, we got some great people around us, man, when it comes to um, the, the medical professionals in this community, there's no question. It is all games. And we talk about how Joe Burrow is so good in the clutch and when it matters the most, those guys that when a life is on the line and those medical personnel, that's amazing. The, the job that they did in that situation that, yes, you can train for it, but I don't know that any of them ever practiced it. I don't know any of them have ever had to put those skills in action. And, and for the, the job they did was just incredible. Certainly not there in that spot. That's for sure. No. Um, all right. So that's the great part and that we want to make sure we start with and, uh, and, and everything. And, and now we get into sort of the logistics. Cause here's the thing you know, we, we spent yesterday and we're going to, we're going to tick through a bunch of this stuff. Um, but we spent yesterday talking to Zach Taylor, uh, who filled in all, on everything that's kind of been hanging out there. Um, this is the first time we'd heard from anybody. Zach Taylor talked, Joe Burrow and DJ reader both spoke in a press conference setting. Uh, mm. today, the locker room will open for the first time since what happened on Monday. And so there'll be a little bit more chance to get a feel for the locker room, talk to a bunch of other people in a little bit more comfortable setting. And, but you know, yesterday was sort of that official get all this, Let's talk about all of this stuff now from some of the leaders uh, on the team. It was enlightening. It was, there was a lot, there's a lot to get through there. We're going to get to that. Um, let's start with what is a topic on a lot of people's minds. Um, before we get to that, we are, we'll have Mo, by the way, coming up here in a little bit, talking um, about whether the guys want to, should, how do they play this weekend and uh we'll have jeff Strebeck because guess what they play the ravens uh so oh, by the way oh by the way there's a game and uh the ravens and bengals both are playing for stuff uh so we've got to get to that we'll have all our normal stuff but uh the game time for sunday is now officially set at 1 p.m against the ravens at paycor stadium what happens with this Bengals Bills game is the question still hanging out there. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, what are they going to do? There are so many different options, none of them ideal, none of them great, um, but there are many uh, that they can choose from. Jay, you have a story up right now on the site detailing all the different places the Bengals could still land at this point, um, depending on whether the game is canceled. Um, Pro Football Talk had a report out last night saying that there's momentum building around it canceling. Uh, momentum building reminds me of chatter in league circles that we hear from PFT a lot in the offseason. Uh, so uh, we'll see on on all of that. Very possible, of course. I think that is probably the easiest move that we've seen. But there's just, Jay, there's just so many different directions this thing could go right now still. Yeah, and my apologies to you if you read that and you came away more confused than before you started it. It is, I mean, it, it, there there is a lot to get to. I mean, there always is when you're talking about seedings, but now when you're talking about a game that's not played and it's it's coming down to win percentage and will it be played? Will it won't be played? Or won't it be played? It's just it is. I, I tried to break down every scenario and let everybody know what could happen. I I, I think the most interesting thing is uh, where people kind of just their head swims with numbers is that if, if the bills and Bengals finish tied without playing, then it's going to come down to strength of victory. 
because they they don't have the head-to-head matchup. Their conference record is exactly the same, and their record against common opponents is exactly the same. Uh, because the the two divisions crossed over, they they have eleven common games. They only have five games that weren't common games. Hmm. So when you get to strength of victory, the Bengals already have the lead in strength of victory. There is nothing that can happen this weekend for the Bills to leapfrog the Bengals in strength of victory. Um, so that is the the main thing to come away from is if if they do if if they were to finish tied then the Bengals would would get the higher seed and now for them to finish tied of course the you it, it's it's going to come down to a Bengals win against the Ravens um which is what what we're here to talk about today but yeah there's there's so many things to get into if then this that um the story's up there if you want to dive into to all the different possibilities and there are a lot of them yeah but the i mean the bottom line is if you know that if they cancel the game, two or three seed, they're the AFC North champs, um, depending on what happens. If they, if they beat mm-hmm. the Ravens, and then you see, did the Bills win or lose? And that determines yeah. where those, that seeding would eventually fall. But again, we don't know if that's what they'll go with, you know, because the other option would be, okay, you know, this is the best option that I've seen out there that keeps it the most competitive, and that is you play Bengals, Bills, um, in the first wild card weekend, along with the NFC wild card games, um, to determine the seeding. So essentially, it's a bye week for the rest of the AFC, and then the next week, um, you end up playing the AFC wild card and the NFC divisional round, uh, and then you get to where you would have the conference championships for both the weekend before the Super Bowl. Um, the Bengals and Bills would just be playing through, but they also just kind of had a long bye week because they, you know, they played the short game there. But there, there's, there's no easy way to do it is the point. Like there's somebody's going to kind of be screwed no matter how you do this. Yeah. Um, and that's the only, that's the only way to me to keep it the most competitive if they wanted to do that. So if they want to go that direction and make all those moves and all that logistics, um, they can. There's going to be TV partners that are going to have things to say about that, and they pay a lot of money, of and um, they inevitably end up being the ones that make a lot of these decisions. Um, you know, they don't lose games, but these weekends are set. Everything how it's supposed to go is set. The NFL has a vision for the way their playoffs go. They are massive money makers. They're very important to the people that pay everyone. So that goes into this equation as well. We don't know when we're going to hear about it. I think there's an assumption we need to hear about it before Sunday. Um, I think there's an assumption that we should hear about it today or tomorrow. Um, But when it comes to the NFL, you should never be assuming anything. I don't think we are. I don't think we are. I think they're going to wait till four on Sunday. Wait to see how these games play out. And I just... They they've it's not like they haven't made scheduling adjustments in, in shorter time frame. If if you see what happens with Kansas City, you see what happens with the Patriots and Bills and you see what happens with the, the Bengals Ravens, you know, by four o'clock where everything's going to stay and what that game's going to mean. I, I really think that sometime Sunday late afternoon is when they're going to wait to make this decision. Yeah. Keep it uh, locked to the athletic uh, <laughs> uh, the, you know, all things Bengals, Bills. 
the Hamlin Live blog are all updating constantly. You can always just go to the site there, follow us on Twitter, uh, all the information on 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 what's going on with that. So we'll we'll see how it plays out. Um, other news to tap into real quick. Um, Willie Anderson named a finalist for the Hall of Fame. That's the final 15, same spot he was at last year. He will be in the room, as they say, in the conversation with all the voters um, being presented and voted upon. Um, That will be in the lead up to the Super Bowl. So we'll see um, where that goes. But Willie back in the room again, which is great news for him, deserved. Um, One thing I want to touch on here real quick uh, before Mo gets in is is Zach Taylor. Um, he addressed he opened with like an eight minute monologue yesterday um, that was essentially thanking everybody. I think that was in the building uh, that night. <laughs> Except us, we got no thank yous, Jay. We were there. It felt <laughs> like we should be next in line. Uh, but thanking everyone for for everyone everything they did. You know, medical professionals, the officials, the fans, the Bills community, the Bengals community, everyone at UC Medical, the the security at UC Medical. I mean, <laughs> everybody and going through all of that. Sean McDermott and just a lot of a Big lot guess. of praise to be distributed um, to everybody besides himself, um, <laughs> and and which is kind of on par for, for his style. But yep. he talked about what happened. We've all talked about this. The moment that he strided across the field to Sean, um, and they talked, and everything from there changed, right? That's when it was, okay, we know what the, the, the direction is going to go. What he said um, was poignant, and it tells you a lot about Zach and Sean. Um, let's, let's, let's play that clip real quick. You know, just to kind of give context of, of what we were dealing with on the field as it happened – because um, I've, I've watched the TV copy just to kind of see what everybody else saw. And if you think about it, we're on the field. We've been in that situation many times where there's an injury to an opponent and you give them the space to operate. And, and uh, so as our team made it on the field and you could see the reaction uh, of the players that were out there and how they were impacted, mostly their guys, a couple of our guys, you could, you could quickly see the seriousness of the nature that it was different than anything we'd experienced and during those moments, all everyone's hoping for is the best case scenario with DeMar. No one's processing whether this game is going to be played or delayed. That, that's not going through anyone's mind. I, I've, seen the, I've seen the TV copies now, and everybody else was kind of forced to think that way because, because they're not down there in the moment. Um, so people get a chance to process what's going to happen. That, that never crossed any of our minds. It was just, how is this player going to, going to be okay? So then when the, the uh, ambulance starts to pull away, is really the first moment anyone gets to even think about anything. And, and in that moment, um, you know, it came together with Sean McDermott and the officials kind of led the way there. And, and it was determined, you know, just to, just to take a few moments as teams to, to just process what had happened and separate and go to our sidelines and uh, just take a few moments to process because no one had had that chance. You know, I, I look at Sean and those players, all they were doing was looking at their teammate and their brother and, and hoping for the best there. That's the only thing going through their minds. I, I didn't say a word to anybody the entire time, except for TB, um, who, who knew DeMar, and, and I could tell that he was going through it. So I could just see the expressions on Jordan Poyer's face and Josh Allen's face and TB's face. And so you're processing just uh, um, you know how, how uh, awful the situation was. We separated his teams. Uh, the officials, again, did a great job of coming over to me and saying, hey, um, 
you know, they're, they're still trying to process this moment here, uh, Coach McDermott and their team. And so um, instead of playing telephone on separate sidelines, the decision was made just to go over there and, and make sure we're all, you know, talking together. And, and I won't disclose um, any of the private conversations Sean and I had except for this. When I got over there, uh, the first thing he said was, I need to be at the hospital tomorrow and I shouldn't be coaching this game. And so that to me provides all the clarity because there, there was no uh, unprecedented is the word that gets thrown out a lot about this situation because that's what it is. Uh, but in that moment, he really uh, showed who he was, that, that all his focus was just on DeMar and being there for him, being there for his family at the hospital. And, and at that point, um, I think everybody everything trended in the, in the direction it needed to trend and the right decisions were made there. But um, again, just, just – uh, the way that I really felt Sean McDermott led in that moment for his players. He was there for his players. He, he processed the right way, which was incredibly difficult and, uh, and really helped us get to the, the solution that we needed to get to, um, I think was, was really good. So um, that's, that's, that's really um, all I have about the situation. Um, again, the, the thoughts and prayers should be with Jamar and his family, the support with the Buffalo Bills, Obviously, we've got people on our team that are affected that knew DeMar from high school, Cal Adamitis, Tyler Boyd played with him. Plenty of guys are around him in the offseason that had relationships with them. And um, so we'll continue to support those guys and our players and our team. Uh, but again, a lot of support goes to the Buffalo Bills and, and DeMar and his family. Ooh, what a moment, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, you go over and Sean McDermott, who has been absolutely going through it, um, says, I, I don't think I can coach this game. I, I need to be at the hospital with DeMar, you know, and and Zach Taylor n- knows right then. It's over. Game's over. Yeah. I, this game cannot go on. We will. I will not let this game go on, essentially. Um, and from that point forward, you know, they steered the ship. We talked about this the other day, was that at that point, you know, the league was looking for the feeling on the ground in Cincinnati specifically from Zach and Sean and the two of them, you know, made it clear like this is it. And and that is the moment, you know, that's the moment he knew like, I, because I thought another great p- point that he was making was look, nobody is thinking what you do next when the, they were still on the field. Mm-hmm. Like everyone is just, in this moment in disbelief and processing what they're seeing and their CPR and there's everybody's emotional. And he said, you know, not until the ambulance left the field was there this sense of, well, now what, what do we do now? You know? And, and, and that's, and that's when that ended up happening. And that's when the clarity came from of, no, we can't, we can't go on. Like people, we can't do this. And uh, so I just thought that was it, it. Told you a lot about both of those men, but in particular Zach Taylor, who said, "You know, I don't." He, he's like, "I don't. I don't know Demar. I didn't see. I wasn't in the middle of that huddle. I wasn't watching specifically what was going on, really talking to anybody." So everybody's dealing with it in different ways. People that are more connected. He. Let's be honest. I mean, those were that was Sean McDermott's guy. He's going through it. And they're all mm-hmm. deep, and and the leader in that moment really kind of had to be Zach Taylor, and, and not not to say that Sean wasn't showcasing incredible leadership, but like everybody else is going through it, and and he kind of had to be the voice of reason there to say this is this can't go on. 
Yeah. And I mean, I, I was struck just Zach recounting it and how he was getting emotional all over again. And he, he talked about how he never, he, I mean, he knew of Sean there. They have one of 32 jobs and, you know, he's, he's always had respect from him from afar, but he's, he's never like had a meal with him or anything like that. And just, um, just how moved he was recounting that, that situation. And, um, it, it, it was, I, I think Zach comes away from, from that, uh, I think with a, a whole newfound respect, not necessarily in Cincinnati, because you wrote about this, everybody talked about, um, this is the guy he's been all along, but mm-hmm. nationally for people to, to see what he's all about. He, he comes out of this looking really, really good. And, um, if, if you guys haven't read Paul's story yet, it's incredible. I, I mean, it literally brought me to tears. I, I, and I, I don't say that that doesn't happen a lot when I read stories like that. And it was just the, the quotes from the people closest to Zach were, were really powerful and honest. And, um, it, it's a great piece. And, and it was, it was a well-deserved piece for, for the job that, that Zach did Monday night and what he's done all along. Jay, you're just saying that because your Arby's had been thrown away right before you read that story. So it got swept into the garbage (laughs) and you're like, oh no, my roast beef sandwich. I read Uh, it at 6.45 a.m. There was no Arby's at 6.45 a.m. All right, let's take a second and switch gears here and hear from a sponsor. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Honestly, though, it's, it's funny this all happened. This was a story that I had in my mind, not in this capacity at all, but you know, for to to dive into at some point during the playoffs or the run of the playoffs, because mm. what had struck me was so much anytime anything went wrong with the Bengals for a second, a bad half, um, even during their seven game winning streak or a, a, a call that went awry, it was like. Zach is just not the guy. Fire him. Like you, you <laughs> like you still see that. Even a team that won the Super Bowl last year, or excuse me, what, sorry, Bengals fans. A team that was in the Super Bowl last year, won the AFC championship, was on a seven-game winning streak and really playing as good as we've maybe ever seen a team play in a stretch in team history, arguably. And still, the moment things aren't perfect for a minute, you still see that. And that was always amazing to me. There's always still this doubt about the job that he would do. And it, and it just felt like I don't think people understand how he's viewed internally. Like, obviously, Joe Burrow deserves all the credit in the world for everything he has been as a player, as a leader, as a person, as a franchise face and game changer, obviously. But like, coaching in the NFL is like 3% – play calling like like fourth down challenges game management like coaching is how you set the tone it's how you deal with people it's how you deal with all the fires that show up on your desk every single day i don't think people understand for a second the amount of crap that shows up on the desk of every head coach in this league every single day 
and the amount of tough conversations and tough situations you have to maneuver your way through every single day. That's the job. That's the job. And creating an environment that has compassion and empathy and everyone feels valued and feels like they're cared for creates the connectivity that is a great culture. And no one can deny what the Bengals have here and have had throughout last year, we wrote extensively and talked extensively about it in the run of the Super Bowl last year, was a culture that lit this talent on fire, that is, took it to the next level. And that's been seen again this year as they've worked through all kinds of different things. It's a very, very connected team. I mean, I don't know how many guys have to tell us pretty bluntly, this is the most connected team I've ever been around where guys want to be together. They don't want to leave the building. They care about each other genuinely. It only starts in one place. And what you saw on Monday, what the world really saw on Monday, was exactly why those guys follow him and exactly why it works. Because they feel like you know, they see a guy that's genuine, that cares, that sees the bigger picture. All the time. That's been what people here in Cincinnati in that in that building have known and have be- and why they've believed in him the entire way. Um, people can have thoughts and feelings about things like play calls and 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 game manager, whatever. But that's why this team has won. You know, that's a that's a big reason why this team has won. All right. Uh, for those of you uh, listening, I, I want to bring you a, a little bit. I talked to Brian Callahan. Asking questions about Zach Taylor, he was so interesting and so insightful. I just wanted to bring <clears throat> a, a pretty big portion of that conversation for you. So here is a here's Brian. My conversation yesterday with Brian Callahan about Zach Taylor. It starts with him talking about watching Zach sort of on Monday. It, it's a it's an interesting to reflect on in such a short amount of time. Yeah. I'm sure there'll be more of it as it. Uh, you know, as, as days go by here, but uh, I do think that uh, it's unfortunate in some degree that that everybody gets to see what what who and what Zach is all about in such a terrible situation. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and I think that that's, but I also think that's the the, the bonus of it is he, he was able to uh, handle such a difficult situation, and, and there's a lot of light shed on what type of person he is. Yeah. And I think that's the, that's the best part about it for, for me is that I know that, um, this is, this is the guy that I see every day, you know, that, so how, how and what he's done to, to navigate this situation is exactly what I would have expected from him. If that makes sense to you. Yeah. Um, because, because it's just, that's what I see every day. I see he's, he's been the same person since the minute we walked in the building together. Um, he handles adversity the same way all the time. He handles difficult moments with the same uh, class and grace and empathy um, from the smallest thing, if, if from a, a player losing a, a grandparent they have to leave for a funeral for a day to something as, as uh, incredibly public as what happened on Monday. And I don't think that uh, you're going to find too many people that, can navigate situations with with that sort of consistent demeanor all the time um and then it never ever changes which i think is the most incredible part i mean he's good bad hard easy 
and from anything in between, he's he's the same person. And I think what um, what makes him really unique is he's got a great ability to uh, stop and listen and and process before he reacts. And he's always been that way. Yeah. And um, I think that that's a it's an incredible strength um, for leadership. And I think that you know I think it's it's great for for people to see in the world that that's that is what real leadership is. You know, it's not the it has nothing to do with with X's and O's. It has nothing to do with how passionate you you come across as a as a person. It's it's how you handle people, and I think that that's uh, always been Zach's strength. And I think that he got to show everybody what what that looks like in real time. And um, you know, I'm just proud to proud to work for him. Yeah, and I know. I mean, you guys, you guys have never worked together before this, but like, how much has that? Like you said, I mean, stuff that's happened in the shadows here for years that nobody really talks about or knows about. Like, how much yep. has has this process of being with him kind of helped evolve your philosophy of being a, a coach or coordinator in this oh, league? Yeah. He, it's, I mean, he's made uh, an incredible impact on me as, as the you know the person that everybody you know as a head coach, everybody wants a piece of your time. They want a piece of your um, of your day, and 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 it comes in a lot of different forms. And I think that when you watch Zach navigate that in in in, in his own way, everybody's a little you know everybody's different, but Zach's um, very consistent in how he he goes about his day. And with every person he talks to, and every part of the organization, with every uh, detail and decision that needs to get made, he approaches it the same. And like I said, I think that the best leaders. Um, are guys that, that know how to step back and listen before they do anything. And uh, when you can, it's hard. That's a lot easier said than done. I think, um, especially when you're when you're in that seat. When you know, I've been around a lot of guys that are really good coaches and, and all have good leadership qualities. But I think you know, Zach's is probably the best I've ever been around. That there's, I guess, there's a thought of like the old school football mentality that sort of exists, right? I mean, of what yeah. move the drill or 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 hard coaches and sleeping in the office and like that's what football is and true two days and three days but like yeah. it seems like the embracing of the opposite of that here and that I think that filters across things like like Monday has did you view that as sort of this is kind of a the perfect example of sort of a new school philosophy on how to try. I know guys have been empathetic in the league for a long time, but this seems like the yeah. most obvious display in what you guys have built here of the new school philosophy of kind of how to be leaders a little bit. Yeah, I think it's. I think there's a there's a place for for vulnerability um, in leadership, mm-hmm. and and uh, and and outwardly understanding that um, being a really good leader usually stems from how much you care about the people that work for you, and and how you go about building an environment where people feel that. And I think that that's one of the things that we've done here um, in, in leaps and bounds is, is been able to create an environment where, where guys love being around each other. We foster fostering the um, type of mentality that everything we do is about, about being part of the team together, being connected. Like you hear our guys say it all the time. Um, you know, being a connected team, and I don't think you can be a connected team without the the leadership that Zach has shown. Without the be able to to 
feel that care, feel that genuineness, that sincerity, that integrity from, from the person that's in charge. And, um, you know, I think he's been, I don't think I've ever heard him raise his voice, um, ever at it for any reason, um, good or bad. And I think your team takes after that, you know, they, they have a, a, a calmness, um, and an ability to navigate difficult circumstances, knowing that, um, that everyone here is, is cares about their well-being, uh, that they care about each other, uh, and they're not afraid to, to be to be vulnerable and and have a conversation with somebody about something as serious as what happened on Monday, or as, as small as just making sure guys are hey, doing okay. And um, I think that's a that's a I don't know if that's a new thing or that's just what I I mean I've always felt like the best teams I've been on have had those characteristics and uh, the best organizations I've worked for have felt similar. And I just think this is uh, what Zach's leadership has been by far the, the, this is the most enjoyable work experience um, you could ask for. That was Brian Callahan. We are going to bring in our good friend, Mo Egger. Mo, how are we doing, buddy? There he is. I'm good. I'm, my apologies to the folks on YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, you know what? We do we do some things for the YouTubers. They get to see our face, but yeah. sometimes they don't get all the goodies that the people at home get. Well, uh, in advance, I apologize for not having my uh, my normal audio set up. Uh, I, I hope this works. Oh, you sound great. You sound okay. great. Um, right. I want to I want to start with something, and uh, it, it was a conversation yesterday uh, when we talked uh, on your show on ESPN fifteen thirty. Uh, in the three o'clock hour, I wanted to revisit a touch of that conversation of the concept of, you know, expecting these guys to play, right? And 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 what do you ask of people in this moment? What do you ask of players who are still figuring all of this out and dealing with this to go forward and play? You know, we heard from Zach Taylor kind of say, look, this is what we're tasked to do. You know, you can you can still be feeling for Demar and praying for Demar and feeling the residuals of that while preparing to do something else. I think that's the hard thing is what what, what should you be what should players be expected to do at this point? Well, certainly on Monday night they should not have been expected to play. I think we, we would all agree with that. Um, and, and I, I agree with everything you've said and, and your piece on Zach Taylor today, I, I thought was, was outstanding. Um, I thought he and Sean McDermott showed tremendous leadership and, uh, anybody who would insist that those guys go out there and play football. I didn't want to watch football at that point. So Mm. I, I can't imagine, uh, being told, uh, that I had to play it, but this is what we do in life. Right. And, and I thought Zach said it well yesterday. Um, you can do multiple things at once. You can mm-hmm. focus on your job and your responsibilities and the task at hand. And you can continue to keep Tamar Hamlin and his family uh, very much at the front of your thoughts and worry about him. Th- this is. This it's not apples to apples. Nothing is apples to apples. A, a year ago at this time, uh, I was watching my best friend pass away, uh, and he died on January the 11th. Rich Wahlberg, and um, you, from mid fall last year uh, to when he passed, it was extraordinarily difficult to watch and experience and try to help him through. Um, I took solace in my job. 
I took solace in being able to come to work and kind of get away from what I was fearing, what I was thinking, the sadness that I felt. Um, and I'm lucky enough to have a job that sort of allows me to sort of be somebody else for three hours. Uh, I, I did the same thing when my dad died. I did the same thing when I was going through a divorce. Uh, the, the the job gave me comfort. It gave me something to look forward to. It gave me something to throw myself into. And so I think sometimes in life we all have to do that. And, and it could be something for something as seriousness as dealing with the death of somebody you care about or an illness of somebody you care about could be something maybe a little bit more benign, but professional athletes are really mentally tough people. Uh, you guys could speak to that better than I could, but I think we're talking about extraordinarily mentally tough folks that can figure out how to compartmentalize. And I certainly acknowledge there's a difference between watching a loved one um, go through the end of life and what those players witnessed and the, the residual trauma that may exist. I'm not naive to that, but I do think in life, um, a, we are built to compartmentalize and B when you are going through mourning and, and by the way, uh, the science continue to be encouraging regarding DeMar Hamlin, which is terrific, but you can throw yourself into your job or something else that you have passion for. And all these guys have great passion for football that allows you to get away and all the while still keep uh, your teammate and your friend uh, very close to your heart and be there for him and be there for his family when needed. I think it is reasonable to ask these players to play football and do their jobs. And my guess is that that's what these guys eventually are going to want to do. Um, and so, you know, we'll see how it unfolds and, and look, these things are anecdotal. So everybody handles trauma and stress and sadness and uh, excruciating emotional pain differently. And so for some players, I'm sure it's going to be easier than others, but I, I do think we as human beings have the ability to, to kind of, okay, this is here, this is here, this is here. And I think oftentimes having something else to focus in on, something else to throw your energy into, uh, somewhere else to go is is very, very helpful. It was for me, and I think it would be for for a lot of these uh, for a lot of these players on both the Buffalo Bills and the Cincinnati Bengals. Yeah, I think that's a great point because I I think the difficulty here for these players is is not playing this weekend. It's getting ready to play this weekend. Yeah. Once the game starts, there's DJ Reader said it yesterday. There's only one way you can play this game. They they can't be out there thinking, should we be playing this game, or thinking about Demar's callous as that sounds. And and I do think too the the news today about him improving that that helps in that regard too. Helps him be more at ease about getting ready for this game. But once they once it, it's not closure, but it's it's that that huge step forward. That once that game kicks off, I, I think. It's 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 gonna feel normal. I, I think all those thoughts and and concerns, not, they're not gonna go away forever. But for three hours while they're playing that game, it's it's gonna feel like a normal game. All right, let's just take a quick break. 
I'm glad you mentioned something that DJ Reader said yesterday because this is a really good chance <clears throat> to drop in uh, what Joe Burrow and DJ Reader said specifically about wanting to play this weekend. Does anyone ask you on the team if you guys want to play this weekend? How do you feel about having to play? We have not been asked that. Uh, and I'm sure if you, you pulled the locker room, there'd be mixed, mixed votes on that. Uh, personally, I think... I think playing would be is going to be tough, but you know there's there's people that want to play too, and there's people that don't. And so personally, I probably want to play. You know, I think getting back to you know as normal as you can, as fast as you can, is personally how how I deal with these kind of things. But like I said, everybody has a different way of dealing with it. Do you think you should be playing Sunday? Do you want to play? Uh, that's a tough question. Um, there's a lot of things, and you know, I don't really make those decisions, so I I can't really answer that question. I gotta go out there and play um, if that's what's called to do. But I can also see the other side if guys don't want to. I can I can definitely empathize with that and understand why that would be the case. Um, you know, I'm just not in the space to tell you what I want to do right now. You know, and DJ was great in being, like, but look. Not my call. This is the this is where I play. This is the league I play in. Mm-hmm. This is what I signed on to do. We heard a lot of that phrase. Like this is we know what we signed up for. We signed up for a league that does this, that tells you to go play. They've done it forever. I t- I called Chris Crocker yesterday because I just been thinking about that 09 team and playing through the Chris Henry stuff when it happened and the league basically being like, you know, Chris dies on Thursday. You play in San Diego on Sunday and you travel to New Orleans for his funeral on Tuesday. Yeah, you're playing that game, right? Or the Chiefs in 2012 um, where you have a player kill his girlfriend, commit suicide in front of the GM and the head coach, and they have to play two days later. You go play the game, right? Stuff happens all the time. This happens behind the scenes. This was public. This was as jarring as a thing as you can have and the biggest fear the NFL has always had happening right in front of everyone's eyes. There's no question about it, but the NFL has always had the stance of, yeah, you know what? People are going through it and stuff is tragic, but the beat goes on. That is the league that they signed up to play in. It's life. Yeah. I mean, in many respects, it is. Um these guys have jobs that in the grand scheme of things are less important than many others. So do we, but that's, that's just kind of how life works. You, you have uh, obligations that you have to meet and things that you have to do. And maybe you're less enthusiastic than normal about doing them, but you realize that's what you have to do. And, and again, um, I think the great thing about this sport having never played it is uh, on game day, at least it, it, it allows you to kind of become somebody else. Right. I mean, you guys have covered this league for a very long time. I, I, I think there's a, a level of psychosis that some of these guys sometimes uh, uh, adopt that isn't reflective of who they are beyond those three hours on Sunday or Monday or Thursday. Um I think this sport allows you to throw yourself into the role of another person. And, and maybe that in, in a scenario like this can help you get by. I don't know, but that's, yeah. I mean, you brought up the Javon Belcher thing. I can't imagine what it must've been like to be a a Kansas city chiefs player 
at the end of that miserable season in which he uh, shot himself in front of the GM and the coach, and then they go out there and play a football game. I can't imagine what that's like, but in life, this is what we do. We, we don't move on emotionally. We don't move on mentally, but we, we often do move on physically. And, and I, I certainly understand that you have to be mentally and emotionally all in to perform. And what I would say is I would hope that the, the bills and the Bengals management would show some level of sensitivity. If there's a guy who just says, I just can't go. But as a general rule, um, I, I think, and, and I don't, I don't want to sound, I don't want this to come off the wrong way. I think is a, I think to a degree playing and preparing is going to be good for these guys. Um, you know, I, I, again, it's, it's not apples to apples. I just think of moments of, of heartbreak that I've gone through when my dad passed away, you know, my, my bosses said, come to work when you feel like it. And I came back after three or four days and it was, what am I going to do? Sit at home? Uh, I need something to do. I need something to channel my energy into. And so, you know, which you you talk about channeling your, your energy. That's, that's what a lot of us have done. That's what a lot of people have done in terms of donating to Damar Hamlin's toy drive. And, um, I saw on Twitter today, Zach Taylor's wife compelled, uh, kids at, at her, at her, uh, at her children's school to, to make cards. And that's happening all across the tri-state. And, uh, Folks who have somebody said to me yesterday morning, I've chosen to learn CPR. I think a lot of mm-hmm. folks are channeling what they're feeling into something positive. I think the Buffalo Bills can do that. And I think the Cincinnati Bengals can do that. And, and I think it can help them. Um, there's a lot of people who felt better because they donated $20 to DeMar Hamlin's toy fund. There's a lot of people who maybe felt better because they've chosen to, to learn CPR. And, and, and maybe, maybe it will help these guys. And again, everybody's wired differently. Maybe it will help these players to have something to channel their emotions toward during the week and obviously on Sunday as well. CPR, by the way, was the only 8 a.m. class I took in my entire college career. (laughs) Um, But what you talk about uh, processing and moving on, and I, I wonder, are these conversations being had right now in the league office? Because what we saw Monday night, what if that happened in the Super Bowl mm. or even a wild card game? Do, what I mean, do they say we we have to finish this game? I mean, that it's it, it, something like this happens and it opens up all other kinds of conversations. And I I just wonder about that where Monday night, it was obvious. Call it off. Make it up, don't make it up, whatever. But we're not playing it tonight. But if if it happened in one of those big, big games, what would happen? I mean, what if you flipped the two Bengals primetime games we saw this year and what happened Monday would have happened on the Thursday night game back at the beginning of the year and what happened to Tua mm-hmm. would have happened here? I go back to that. I mean, they played on after what happened to Tua. That was mm-hmm. that was frightening to mm-hmm. see. And I remember thinking, how do these guys play through this, right? But they did. They they had to go out there and continue playing. And we've talked, Jay, about how it was just so different, the feeling in the entire stadium after yeah. that. People tried to be in it. They tried to kind of like feel the importance of that game, but you couldn't really. Mm-hmm. And I wonder, like, so what happens if something like that happens? You know, does this now open that where people are like, no, we're, we're, we're human. It, 
I think that's something they need to, the NFL needs to address in the offseason. They need to at the at the owners' meetings, they need to have real talks about putting something in writing about and I know all these situations are different, but like there needs to be something more specific where every situation doesn't turn into people wondering, right? You, you need to ha- set a precedent that everyone's comfortable with, you know, in some of these situations. And that's hard to really hard to do, but they need to have real conversations about that going forward because there is a lot of trying to figure, you know, you don't want people to not know um, how this stuff it can play out when it happens because serious injuries happen all the time all the time uh let's let's quickly get to uh get to our our bets which you know seem so insignificant they're not even for real money at all we just totally <laughs> make it up but we do it uh jay uh what's our recap of where we're at because we're about to round out the regular season yeah so i just i took all of our games all of our bills Bengals bets last week just called them a push returned that money to your your account yeah. and <laughs> um i i I hit the Ohio State OU parlay, so I am I am wow. in triple I am in triple digits now. We have a neck and neck race. Really, uh, pa- Paul put nineteen on Georgia and and lost. I did Mo, Mo? I was so confident. You were. <laughs> Mo is closing the gap. Paul is at plus two twenty eight. Mo is at plus two twenty five point four. Wow. And I'm at one eighteen plus one eighteen point six. Still chasing. I'm glad that you're you're, st- you're not out of it, Jay. Oh, parlay Jay's coming up. Parlay Jay. Uh, Mo, what do you got this week? Well, briefly, um, uh, w- w- the Bengals didn't play this past Sunday. Sunday was the first NFL Sunday in which uh, people in Ohio could make legal wagers. Yeah. I have enjoyed listening to people's stories about navigating that first Sunday where suddenly number one, every online gambling app was throwing all sorts of bonuses at people. You had folks who realized, Oh, wait a minute. You you can lose money doing this. I've, <laughs> <laughs> I've enjoyed, I have enjoyed people's, especially a lot of, a lot of newbies, a lot of folks jumping into this for the first time who were like, Oh yeah, this, uh, well, this could really go wrong. Yeah, yes, <laughs> yeah, it yes, can. Yes. That's what yes, makes it, it interesting. It will. Oh, <laughs> it will. Yes, it, it's it's not, yeah. It's 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 not a matter of uh, it's not a matter of of can it go wrong? It's wrong. Um. So, I, I don't, I don't really know, frankly, what to do with the Bengals game on uh, on Sunday. Um. I, I so I'm I'm gonna sort of stay away from 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 that one. Me too. And I'm I'm going to I'm gonna go ahead and make a, a very easy wager that is at least gonna keep me running place with where I am. First of all, uh, Kansas City never covers big numbers. It's been the easiest wager in all of football. I'm gonna stick with it on Saturday. I think the Raiders are going to make things really uncomfortable for Kansas city. We don't know ultimately what that's going to mean because we don't know the status of Bengals bills. And and if they're going to play a full 17 games, I think the Raiders are going to cover the nine and a half. And then I'm going to take a very easy wager because this feels like this is uh, almost inevitable. Uh, Brian Dayball to be the coach of the year. I haven't even looked at the odds, but I'm sure they're minus odds. I'm just going to take those two and I'm going to leave the Bengals Ravens game this week alone. 
10 each. Okay, I thought we had rules here. I thought we had to do a Bengals bet, but I understand Not these are week. different different circumstances, week. but yeah. I did. I I so I was thinking this game was going to be close and then my conversation with Jeff Zrebeck, who you guys will hear from in a little bit, um he he convinced me to maybe to go the other way. So I'm I'm going to go 13 on Bengals minus 6.5. Um I just I don't think that Ravens offense can score. And I think the Bengals can score enough against a really good Ravens defense. And then I'm doing it. I'm going to put seven units on a five-team parlay. Oh, my God. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> and and I, I'm with Mo. I, I think this is the week to do it. I mean, I think this is the week where you things could go crazy, but I think you have a really good idea who's who's taking it serious, who's not. Um, I'm going Raiders plus the nine and a half. Going Jags minus six against Tennessee. That's just Tennessee's done. Um not so much because of the DeMar Hamlin situation, but I'm taking Patriots plus seven at Buffalo. I just think that game's going to be tight. The Patriots have everything in the world to play for. Pittsburgh minus two and a half against Cleveland. Cleveland's done. I have no idea how the Chargers are getting two and a half points against the Broncos. The Chargers still have a chance to get the five seed, which would be a game at Jacksonville. If they get the six seed, they're going to be playing one of these big three in the AFC. I think they've got enough to play for, so I'm going to go Chargers plus two and a half as the fifth leg of my parlay that should, if I win, I think I move ahead of you guys. This is the gambling version of the end of game series of laterals. That's what you just did. Pitchy, pitchy, woo, woo. You're flinging the ball all over, hoping it doesn't hit the ground, hoping it lands in the hands of a teammate. You got offensive linemen. That's what you're doing. You're lateraling at the end of the season. Except this is absolutely is Jacoby Myers because we're going through the postseason. It's not like we're stopping here. You have plenty of time to catch up. You're just choosing to waste incremental movements to try to take a pitchy, pitchy, woo, woo shot. And that's fine. Uh, I'm putting all... I'm with Mo. I had the same thing that you started with. I, I have everything I got on Raiders plus nine and a half and the over. Put them together. Um, uh, plus nine and a half and the over of 52 and a half in Chiefs Raiders. I'm with you. I think that game is very interesting. I would not have said that before until we saw the fighting Stidham's play. And I said, oh, maybe Jared Stidham did give him something. That's the San Francisco defense there. That's no. Yes. That's no pushover, and they went out there and, and showed something, which I was really surprised to see without Derek Carr. So, And the way that the Chiefs have played has not been the most convincing, particularly against teams that they are supposed to kill, like you said. So I'm with you. I'm putting it all on, on that Raiders and the over. I think it's very interesting, and Bengals fans might be perking up a little bit on that Saturday afternoon. Maybe. I don't know, depending on all the other crap. There's too many things, too many wheels in motion. The whole the whole NFL is one big 17 J parlay at this point. Like it's just <laughs> there's just a lot, there's just a lot of wheels in motion. Is is there any bigger reflection of the uh, the watered down state of this league than the fact that, that on Saturday night we have an AFC South championship game pitting the Tennessee Titans versus the Jacksonville Jaguars? And we're all going to watch. We sure are. <laughs> I am. I, might, I am uh, definitely. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I, yeah, I'm team team Jags. Here we go. Let's go. Uh, Mo, I appreciate it. Great conversation. Thanks for sharing everything with us here. And uh, we'll catch up with you soon. Yes. Thank you guys. Thanks Mo. Yep. Let's um, let's take a quick second. You know, we heard from Joe Burrow yesterday um, and he was phenomenal. I mean, you know, insightful, honest, 
uh, very genuine, um, unfiltered, um, vulnerable, you know, I mean, Mm -hmm. very clear about a lot of things. We wanted to bring you a portion of him and DJ reader, same way. Um, wanted to kind of just bring you a portion, uh, of that conversation to hear, um, and, and we'll, and then we can react a little bit more to some of the stuff we heard from Joe Burrow after that. Here's a, here's a little bit of Joe Burrow. I'm just gonna say, do you want to play the game? Do you feel like you should play Buffalo before going to the playoffs, or how do you how do you? What do you think? Um, that I think that would be tough. Uh, just just scheduling wise, I think. You no, know, I think whatever Buffalo would want to do would be what we would want to do as well. We're you know behind them 100 percent, support them in in whatever they would decide to do going forward. Joe, you, you often express a lot of appreciation for Zach's leadership style up here. I'm curious what your view was like and how important you thought maybe his leadership style was for you guys and for everybody on Monday and, and watching him in that moment. Yeah, that was and I was I was proud in that moment to, to be playing for a guy like Zach. Handled it you know, as good as you can in, in that position, as well as, you know, the medical professionals, the doctors and, and trainers from both sides, you know, it was a pretty immediate reaction to, to what was going on. And I was, I was proud of, of all the people involved in the situation to get out there and do their jobs to, to, to try to save them. What kind of tone, I mean, as the leader of this team, what kind of tone do you want to set or have you tried to set since that, since that moment? Yeah, it's been, it's been tough. You know, you, you have you guys that you care about that, you know, I think everyone out there was was watching it and thinking that could be me, that could be any of us in this locker room. And so one, I just wanted to to make sure everyone knows in that locker room how I feel about them, make sure I, I tell them that. And at the same time, trying to let everyone know that we still got a game to play, we still got a job to do. We, we still got goals and aspirations ahead of us for the season, as, as tough as that is right now, but uh, that's where we're at. You talked about your friendship with Josh Allen before. Uh, there was the, the shot on camera of him crying when he went over to hug him. For you in that moment, how, how hard was that to see one of your friends that shook up about me? Yeah, I would, you know, I would say we were, we were all feeling the same way. You know, we were all there to, to support each other in that moment because, you know, as, as scary as it was for, for them, personally, it was just as scary for me. I didn't didn't personally know Damar, but, you know, that's, we're all brothers in this thing. We're all part of the same institution, you know, playing this game that we love for for each other. And, you know, I was I was feeling the same way. I didn't didn't know how to react to it, I just tried to, you know, go out there and show unity and show support and be around the people I cared about. You talked about the brotherhood, and obviously you guys understand the danger, the violence, of football. Do you guys ever talk about it? Is it ever discussed? And Do you think that'll change? If not, will that change after this? It's definitely going to change after this. I don't think, I know it's, you know, you, you, you mention it maybe every now and then, but it's not anything. You know, you never mentioned it in a in a serious sense. You know, you have these thoughts, and you have 
know, you know it could happen, but you know you've never seen it happen, and it's never happened to you. And now I think everyone's taken a, a step back and and understanding really the kind of game that we play, how dangerous it is, and how it really could have been any one of us in that situation. Um, a little bit of Joe Burrow. I'll just say this, Jay. I'll, I'll open up to you. Um, a major takeaway from things that we heard from Joe yesterday. Um, the one that, that really stood out to me was that first clip that we, or the first quote he just had there about if he wanted to play Buffalo and, um, you know, some people might say it's passing the buck and saying whatever Buffalo wants to do, but I tweeted that quote out, um, and it took off and, and I don't normally look at my mentions, but I was amazed the number of Buffalo fans that, said he's now their one of the he he's one of their favorite players and the Bengals are now their next favorite team and if the Bills can't win at all they want the Bengals to and how this whole thing is going to tie these two I mean they were already tied together after the Andy Dalton thing but this is really kind of solidifying it and just the reaction from people in Buffalo to that one quote was pretty remarkable and I I I thought it was as you it was it was an honest assessment that that you know, playing Buffalo on one hand, it gives them a shot at the one seed. On the other hand, it gives them a shot at the five or the six. There's, it, it can go both ways. And um, the, for him just to say, whatever Buffalo wants to do, we support 100%. You, you just don't hear that in the NFL. It's, it's all about the men in this locker room and what's best for us. And I, I thought that was a, a really telling quote from Joe. You know, you talked about waiting until four o'clock on Sunday to declare. I mean, think about it. Bengals Bills could be for the winner gets the one seed. I mean, if the Chiefs yeah. lost, if the Chiefs lost on if the Raiders pulled the upset, mm-hmm. I just wonder how much that would change the perspective of certainly of the Bengals, it would. <laughs> That's why I think they wait. Right. Uh, to say, well, look, if it's a if it's a winner take all one seed. Um, man, yeah, what, what that, what that could maybe mean. Uh, anyway, just a thought there. The other thing that stood out to me though, most was we, we talk about how we, we, we've certainly discussed and written a lot about how this, how Burrow is as a leader in that he's not a talking guy all the time. He's, he's, he's a kind of a, a lead by example, speak when needed, a great feel for how people need, you know, what people need to hear when they need to hear it, and that that's picking your spots very much. Burrow kind of talking about how he clearly knew this is my spot. Like, this is when I need to be the guy who talks. And him talking about how, you know, he wanted to make sure he stood up and told everybody in the locker room how he felt about them, tell them that, you know, look, we still have a game to play and a job to do, but, uh, you know, I love you guys and, and make sure everybody knew that and how important it was to say that. That coupled with being the driving force behind wanting to go tell the Bills captains mm-hmm. how they felt. You know, that game was still in the balance, mm-hmm. whether it was going to be played or not. And Zach Taylor's down there with Sean McDermott. They're on the phone. And I think they knew, most people maybe thought, it would go a certain direction, but for Burrow and the captains to go down there and say, we wanted them to know how we felt. We didn't want them to feel guilty about not going about, you know, saying they don't want to go out and play again. 
we wanted them to know that we felt like we didn't want to play either to mm. ease their minds, to help them. And, you know, Zach Taylor talked about, look, I, I met him in the tunnel. They, they were coming this way. I was going the other way. We meet in the middle and they told me what they wanted to do. And he said, I wasn't really sure about mm. that. There was a lot of people over there and the bills were real emotional and like putting anything else into an already chaotic mix. And he's, he's like, but, you know, I listened to them. They wanted to do it. So we went over there, asked Sean. Sean got the captains, and he said, I immediately knew that was – I'm so glad I did that because you could see they needed that. The Bills needed that. Burrow had knew. Like, Burrow had that they need to hear this from us. Those mm-hmm. captains knew. And I thought that was incredible um, EQ and just – empathy from the from some young dudes from some young men on this Bengals team and Joe Burrow um understanding what that what the bills needed from them and wanting to give that to them stood out to me um you know just more just can this city fall more in love with this dude like (laughs) (laughs) it's like uh there's just between Buffalo and Cincinnati and Burrow and Zach Taylor and and it's just this is really, I think, in a lot of ways, this awful situation has brought out and exposed the best in a lot of people. And that's been cool to see. That that includes both communities. The one thing, I, I'm surprised that, I, I don't think I've seen pictures of that. What Were you down there when, when that happened, when the players came together? Did they go in the news conference room or did they just talk right there in the tunnel in front well, of so everybody? They had, we, we, we did not see that. We saw them yeah. walk by to go down there. Okay. The okay. actual act of it happening was on the other side where they'd shoot us far away from that. They had cleared okay. everybody away from the bills area. Yeah, Cause that that's sense. where they were, where everybody was at. So, um, so no. Um, okay. Um, that's a little bit more of that. Jay, there's a game. Yeah, there is. There's a game. Uh, so Bengals Ravens Sunday at one o'clock. Um, we got to check in with the Ravens who are, they're a mess. They're just a mess, Jay. Yeah. They're just a mess. Mm-hmm. They're just they're just a mess. I mean, they've won games, but the Lamar Jackson thing, everything else. Let's let's go to your conversation uh, with Jeff Zreback. Jeff, how you doing tonight? Good, Jay. How are you? Always good to talk to you. Doing great. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on. And um, you know, I know it it, it feels weird. It, it's like we finally got to this point where we're kind of spinning things forward and, and talking about football. I honestly haven't done much X and O breakdown at all. I don't know where you're at with this, but um, because we are kind of, you know, it's like Zach Taylor said on Wednesday, you never move past what happened on Monday, but you do need to, you do need to go forward and looking at this game on Sunday and not knowing what's going to happen if the bills and Bengals get made up. And if they don't get made up, then, then Baltimore, has no shot of winning the division. How how do you think that's going to affect the the guys on the team uh, going into this game and not really knowing what's at stake? First of all, given the situation, you know, I don't think anyone's going to be griping publicly uh, about uh, you know any inconveniences, or I should say, let's hope they don't grumble publicly oh, about yeah. any inconveniences. I mean, that would be in really poor form and taste. The reality is there's been 16 games played here by the Ravens. It's not like you haven't had an ample opportunity. They've blown four double-digit leads this year. Uh, I think they understand. I mean, look, 
the Bengals played great down the stretch, and, and mm-hmm. they're playing as well as any team in football. So I don't think you could say the Ravens collapsed here. I, I mean, the Ravens have just been trying to kind of hang on with a backup quarterback in. Um, there's been some good, and there's been plenty of bad. And I think they probably, when you when you weigh kind of everything, they're probably where they are supposed to be. They're not as good as the Bengals right now. I, I, I mean, the Bengals have played the first place schedule. Ravens obviously have played the last place schedule. Um, I know Ravens beat them, but I, obviously Bengals are a much different team than they were in whatever week that was, five or six. Uh, so, um, you know, I, I'm sure they would love to get a shot at the Bengals and, and to see if they could win the division. It's obviously very advantageous uh, to be in that you know, three spot or you get a guaranteed first round home game. And I mean, in the Ravens, they're in the worst spot possible. I I mean, you're in that six spot where you're guaranteed either the Bills, Chiefs or Bengals. And I don't think you like the Ravens in any of those matchups. I'm not saying they're not capable, but I I mean, they're obviously going to be significant underdogs in any of those three. So um, I'm sure they're a little unsettled about the whole situation. It's kind of a weird uh, dynamic. Obviously, there's more important things that that are at play here. Um, Hamlin's health, uh, you know, first and foremost, above everything. But, you know, I, I think the Ravens are going to come and they're going to play guys. I, I don't expect to see Lamar Jackson, um, mm. but I think they're going to play guys that are healthy or close to healthy. I don't think they're just going to, you know, mail it in with backups, knowing that they may be back there in five or six days. Um, you know, I think it kind of depends how the game goes, but I think they would like to finish no worse than that. Um, fifth spot, which would get a matchup with either Titans or Jacksonville. And that probably represents their best chance to move on. And to do that, they need Chargers to lose to Denver in the, in the four o'clock game. So yeah. you'd have to think earlier in the day, the Ravens will at least want to put some pressure on the Chargers to win uh, by getting a W, uh, which isn't going to be hard to do. But this is also a team that needs momentum, that needs to play well, that needs to prove they can beat a good team. Jay, they've beaten one team with a five hundred with above five hundred record, and that's the Bengals. The Bengals, yeah. And then we talked about it. That was a long time ago. So uh, I, I think there's plenty of reasons for them to kind of put their best foot forward at one o'clock Sunday. I mean, you mentioned it. You said you didn't think Lamar was going to play. I I was struck by Harbaugh's comment when he was asked if he was going to practice this week, and he said, "I don't know." And I it didn't sound like raw honesty. That sounded like raw frustration. Yeah. Um, but when he does come back, when Lamar comes back, if it is Sunday, if it is in the playoffs, whenever it is, is it going to be with open arms? Or do you do you get the sense there's kind of a growing rift in the locker room uh, that maybe some business decisions are being made and it's, it's not an ideal time for that? I think the frustration – with the whole situation is palpable and, 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 you know, you could look at the last month, but you can also go back to last year. This exact same thing happened last right. year, you know, and it is really hard to win in the NFL down the stretch. And when you don't have your starting quarterback, who, excuse me, your starting quarterback, who your whole team is built around the whole offense is built around and you're playing tough division games, tough must-win games down the stretch. It's really hard to win. And I think, A, everybody's frustrated with that. Now, you know, uh, Lamar is is a really well-liked, well-respected guy in that locker room. I haven't sensed finger-pointing. I think there's more frustration with the whole situation. I'm not going to come on here and, and not use anonymous people to question his desire to be out there. Yeah. But it's not – the optics aren't good. I mean, this is an inner injury that, you know, Harbaugh – didn't say was serious. Now the Ravens do have a history of downplaying injuries that turn out to be more serious. So who knows? 
but I think it's fair to say they fully expected him to be back by now. Um, Lamar's a competitor. He wants to be out there. So I'm hardly going to be the one to point fingers and, and, and say he's mailing it in or this is all this is all uh you know, a, a, a statement he's making, um, you know, to kind of uh, get that new contract or uh, to, to basically suggest he wants out after the season. Um, but yeah, the optics aren't good. Lamar has not been very visible. Um, you know, you see him in the locker room after games. He is walking with a limp. I, 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 he's not the type of guy that would try to sell it to us. You know, like, hey, the reporters mm. are looking at me. I'm going to start dragging my left leg. It's clearly <laughs> he's been it's been noticeable as limp. So I think he's dealing with some. Uh, but there's the old question. I mean, how, how what percentage do you have to be to play at this time of year? Yeah. Um, you know, and that type of injury. Yeah, sure. There's probably some guys that strap on one of those braces and, and get out there and only miss a week or two. But um, obviously he's not he hasn't done that and, and he's not even practicing yet. And we're talking about a month later. He's not even practicing. So to suggest he's going to be able to play a big game in Cincinnati after not practicing for over a month. Is you know obviously doesn't seem reasonable. The question now becomes: Will he be ready? Is there enough time for him to be ready for their playoff opener, uh, which is you know going to be about ten days away? You know, I, I was going to ask about when Lamar comes back, but it it, it, it sounded more and more like you're you're saying it's, there's really not much of a chance this week. But I am curious. You know, J.K. Dobbins has been terrific this last month, and I just wonder how. How dangerous, even though they don't have much of a passing game at all, whether yeah. it's Snoop or Lamar, I mean, how dangerous can this team be when when you've got Dobbins and you get Lamar back if Lamar looks like Lamar? Yeah, you know, around these parts, Jay, in Baltimore, there's a there's a ton of frustration. I, I, you know, like there's a lot of frustration with this team. I mean, there's a suggestion that they need to blow it up at the end of this this season. Mm-hmm. And you know, send Greg Roman pack and built an entirely new offense, uh, you know, maybe franchise Lamar and trade him, um, you know, just do something different, uh, you know, go th- that this offense has gotten them as far as they could go until they catch up to the rest of the NFL and become a more dynamic offense through the air. They're going nowhere. And, and there's probably some truth to that, uh, Jay, it certainly does seem it certainly seems like they've peaked, like they've just hit a wall. And this has kind of happened at Greg Roman's previous stops, too. Hmm. However, it's it, fair to say that they've really never had the offense they've intended because of injuries. And, you know, last year, Gus Edwards and J.K. Dobbins missed the entire season and Lamar missed the end of the season. And they're all pro right left tackle. Ronnie Stanley missed the entire season last year. And this year, Stanley's missed a chunk. He's been back and very good. Gus Edwards and Dobbins have been just played together for the first time a couple weeks ago. Mm. And they're not completely healthy, but I'll give those guys credit, especially Dobbins. I mean, you could tell in a long run that Dobbins just doesn't have that extra gear right now. I mean, he just his whole knee was ripped up. I mean, this was multiple ligament tears and hamstring and, and, and all that. But man, he he's got great vision. His toughness is off the charts. Uh, he's really given him a boost and given him some juice. Um, but you know, now you don't have Lamar. So that's obvious. So they just really never had the offense and the dynamic run game that they've anticipated because of they just haven't been healthy. Um, but it, it comes a point here where I, I think they're dangerous because if you can control the clock with your run game in the playoffs or in big games down the stretch, mm-hmm. and you have a defense that is pretty decent, I, I I do think the Ravens have fattened up defensively on some bad offenses. 
but there's some weapons there that they have defensively. Um, I, I think you do pose threat, but man, Jay, without your quarterback, it's just hard to, you know, like, I don't think anyone, you know, Huntley's a good athlete, but he, he hasn't pulled the whole lot, pulled the ball a whole lot and threatened defenses with legs. And when he has, he's gotten popped and he seems to be a little reluctant there. It's just, you know, it needs Lamar to work. And, and, and you know, like, even if he comes back, I mean, what kind of form is he in? What's his mobility going to be like? So there's just so many questions about this team, not only heading into Sunday, but, you know, they are going to be playing. You'd never know it from being around their locker room, like <laughs> after the Steelers lost. It was as, you know, it was a locker room atmosphere where you normally see after a team gets eliminated from playoff contention or loses in the playoffs. This, they knew they were going to be in the playoffs, but it was a really down. I think that was pretty telling of kind of the kind of form they're showing and, and, and kind of the opportunity they know that's kind of slipping away. I'm going to challenge you on that pretty decent comment about the defense here in a minute, but I want to get to one other thing first. Uh, I got a stat for you. You know, I love stats. Yes. Um, so last week, Mark Andrews had a hundred of the team's 130 passing yards. It's <laughs> 76.9% of their passing yards in the game. Do you have any idea where that ranks? Among tight ends in the in the I'm sorry since the merger in 1970. No, please tell me. <laughs> it is the fourth most. Shannon oh, Sharp wow. had 84 percent of his. He had 131 of their 156 and 96. Eric Green had 158 of 90 in 1991. Algie Crumpler huh. 118 of the wow. Falcons 147 in a game in 2004. So I mean, it's just remarkable. Yeah, it is. Um, I, I'm curious. You know what? Because Mark Andrews has been uncharacteristically unproductive since Snoop took over, is was that a one-off, or does it does it feel like there's a connection kind of brewing there? Because uh, I mean, it's pretty good defense that he did it against in the Steelers. Yeah, you know what? Last year, um, I, I I think he was pretty productive when Huntley was was down the stretch. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you know, and I, I think it was a combination of things this year for Andrews. One, he's, you know, he's battled knee and shoulder injuries. And there were some weeks where he wasn't even practicing or he played, but he, you know, like you could tell. um, And he's one of their most toughest accountable guys they have. You know, he's kind of the guy you need to drag off the field. He's going to play regardless. But there were times where he wasn't right. And and then, I mean, you're coincide, you know, lately with the lack of production, you know, he is seeing a ton of, de- you know, he's seen double teams and there's been triple. Right. T- I mean, like, who do you respect on the outside? Uh, you know, obviously Bateman's been long gone. He hasn't played in ages, but then Duvernay goes out. And, and that's another guy that, you know, I think teams at least had to respect his speed on the outside, but. I, there just isn't, you know, when you take away the quarterback not being as big of a run threat, you take away kind of a guy like Duvernay and obviously having that Bateman, it's just like, okay, well, who, who are teams going to game plan? And I think Andrews was sort of the uh, recipient uh, of all the defenses of attention. There just wasn't too many things to draw them off him. Um, but, you know, he's going to be their guy. He's going to be the guy they look for. Um, you know, so I, I he's just – I think that he's the guy the Bengals have to stop. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if he has a pretty decent game uh, against them, whether they can do enough offensively. That obviously is a big question, but I think he is getting healthier. Um, and I think we saw kind of some of the connection that they showed at times last year reemerge with, with Huntley and Andrews. So uh, about this defense, um, since the last time the Bengals and Ravens met in week five, 
Ravens lead the league in fewest points allowed. Mm-hmm. They're second in fewest yards allowed. It's not like they were bad early. No, no. Um, for the season, they're number two in red zone defense, number four in third down defense. I mean, is there anything that this Ravens defense doesn't do well? Well, um, one, the big thing is, and when you saw it against the Steelers, the last two weeks, they just haven't been able to stop the run. And that's the Calais Campbell effect. I mean, it's not the only thing, but he's missed the last two games and they've given up a lot of yards against the Falcons and Steelers. I mean, uh, you it's been a long time uh, for them to get gouged, like what the Steelers did to them the other night. And, uh, you know, it's everybody's dealing with injuries. Obviously, look at the Bengals when they lost their big run stuffer. Uh, I'm not comparing, you know, Campbell to Reader or Reader or anything, but I'm just saying it, it's they need Calais Campbell, and and all signs are pointing to him being back Sunday, uh, and, and I think that'll help. Um, so the run defense has kind of been a two week aberration, um, but the one thing that I think late and and you know the the viewers or the listeners need to know that when i need stats you're the guy I go to here jay like i call you <laughs> that'll surprise slack, everybody <laughs> yeah slack you but um they've been really vulnerable and not good defensively late in halves and late in games the numbers are terrible uh, i don't know what it is um but they have a hard time getting off the field late in games and late in mm. halves um and you know obviously when you've blown four double digit leads and lost a bunch of games in the fourth quarter that's pretty telling i mean they couldn't do it against the jaguars they couldn't even do it against the new york giants I, I mean it goes on and on so i think that's kind of been their achilles heel jay they they just have not played well late in games and late in halves and they've had a hard time getting off the field in in two minute situations it's interesting because, I mean, Joe Burrow's good all yeah. the time, it seems like, but <laughs> that this offense has been really good at the end yeah. of halves, at the end of the half and at the end of the game. So that'll that'll definitely be something to keep an eye on. Um, before we leave here, I just I, I've got to ask you, you know, what's your prediction for Sunday and why? Oh, I, I you know. Ray, this is a Ravens are a prideful team and and, mm-hmm. and they're well coached and I do think they'll get up for Sunday. You know, it's you know they've laid a stink bomb in Cincinnati. You know they did last year, but that was not even a representative Ravens team. Yeah. I mean, that was a team that you just wasn't recognizable. Um, I I think you know it'll be reasonably close halftime, but I just think the Bengals are playing too well for them to keep up. I mean, they haven't played the team like the Bengals. Since earlier in the season, you know, they had a run where they played the Dolphins offense and the Bills offense, and obviously they played the Bengals. Um, But they're just struggling too much offensively. They just don't do enough well offensively. They're not equipped to put up points. Uh, the way things are going, obviously the Bengals are going through some stuff, Jay, uh, and and yeah, I respect all that. And you, but you still have to question, you know, could there be an emotional letdown? I mean, I was reading your mm-hmm. quotes and you know, seeing some of the guys comment about playing Sunday and acknowledging that it has been a discussion. You know, so you never know about the mental aspect of the game and all that, how that could impact one team or the other. Uh, But if we're just, you know, Bengals are just playing, you know, well above the Ravens right now. They're just a much better team. They can put up a lot of points. The Ravens really can't uh, right now. So I I think it's going to be, you know, a a two score game um, at least. You know, I don't I don't I'd be surprised if it's that close in the fourth quarter, to be honest with you. Wow, that's surprising. I, I mean, I would I would think this would be closer just because of what you said the the emotions of the Bengals and the the, the Ravens are a prideful team and 
Um, it'll be interesting to see. I, I, I think I think we might be in for a little bit better game than that. But uh, you, you know this team well. Um, it's it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. And it's, it's going to be great to see you when you get here. Uh, I hope you have safe travels to Cincinnati. And uh, thank you so much for jumping on the, the podcast again with like, we ask you to do it twice a year and you're great every time. I appreciate it, Jay. Always enjoy it. Look forward to seeing you and Paul, uh, you know, uh, this weekend. All right, Jay. Great to uh, hear uh, from Jeff. Uh, what was your uh, your biggest takeaway from from that? You know, I'm looking at the Baltimore stats, and it's just like what I knew their defense was good. I didn't know they were that good, and I I posed that question of Is there anything these guys don't do well? And and I I watched the the Pittsburgh game Sunday night, but it just didn't dawn on me how much how effectively they ran the ball on him. And Jeff talking about how the last couple of weeks. This defense has really been susceptible against the run. Now, Calais Campbell's been out. He's probably going to be back this week. But it it makes me wonder um, if that's the way the, the Bengals beat them. It's not going to look like last year at Riverfront. Burrow's not going to throw for 525 against this this group. Um, but can can the Bengals score enough to beat them? And, and can they utilize the run game to, to get the points they need to win this game? Because – um, it, it feels like it's it's been a while since you know we've seen the, this, this running game really really click. Yeah, um, it will be interesting to see. I mean, how if that's the direction they need to go? Obviously, you're going to have again the same linebacker conversation that we were having last week, mm-hmm. where you now where you have Roquan Smith over there now this time where he wasn't a part of that that first game along with Patrick Queen. Patrick Queen. Um, so. A lot, um, a lot to dive into there. You know, lessons learned from that first game. That was really the start of the efficient on the second half there. Once they got through the early part of that game, the start of the look, the efficiency, the checkdowns, the running game working, the gun run game. That was the very birth of the efficient gun run mm-hmm. game happening in that game. So I think lessons from that and who they are now are just so vastly different. And none of it matters. Their offense is so putrid. Their offense is so bad. And that and with no Lamar, no real weapons, I mean their their line is is beat up and I just, you know, Mark Andrews is there. I mean that they, they never can score points. I just I, I just don't see them unless Lamar comes back and starts doing Superman cape stuff. I don't see a point where you are going to see they they can't compete with this Bengals team at this point, I don't think. But that's spoiling where we're going next. Uh <laughs> let's start let's let's jump in through these real quick. Let's run through RBs here, Jay. You know, it, it kind of I mine was going to be what what you talked about, what just the the Joe Burrow press conference yesterday was was his best of the year and just how raw and honest he was. Uh you touched on all that, so I'm going to I'm going to pivot a different way and just uh, Tyler Boyd going after Bart Scott. You don't see these Bengals players go after media members on, on Twitter, uh, especially former players, and just seeing TB stick up for his guy, for T. Higgins, with Bart Scott, if you don't know, basically blame T. Higgins for the DeMar injury, which is completely ludicrous. And um, TB's been talking about how – just awful that is and wrong that is. And um, I think a lot of people are waiting to see if, if ESPN makes him apologize or, or if there's any other type of punishment, but it just struck me that, that to see, to see TV do that, to, to go on a public forum and, and challenge another media member like that. 
Yeah, I mean, the, he's not the only one. Um, yeah, I mean, across the, I mean, everybody is just like, what is, what are you doing? Like, what is, what is this guy? What is this guy doing? I mean, there's, there's a lot. Uh, we've talked about how people have sort of exposed themselves in this moment. Um, mm -hmm. It's gone both directions. Um, mine, congratulations, James Rapine. Very excited <laughs> yes. uh, for James and his wife, Emily. Uh, they had a baby girl. Uh, you know, James over at Locked On and SI, Cincinnati Bengals. We, we love James. Good friend of the program. You've heard him on here before. We've done crossover shows and, um, you know, just uh, uh, outstanding uh, there for a little girl um, and really excited for them to uh, to welcome their their first first child it's awesome awesome to see and, and congratulations to james um now you can start putting all those di diapers and wipes that we all gave them to use <laughs> it was funny he's been there for like, like a day day and a half almost they were in there it's like long wow. man long sleepless night and you said it jay first of many first of many first yes, of sir. many <laughs> uh all right but congratulations to james and emily awesome news um all right run past her boot jay we're gonna. I'm gonna run live. I haven't heard any of this stuff. You've made it all up for me. You got. You have two of them, right? I do have two of them. Let's um, go. Okay. The the first one, um, Snoop Huntley is averaging 117.8 yards passing since he took over as the starter. So, what'll be greater, <laughs> Snoop Huntley passing yards, Mixon, P. Ryan combined scrimmage yards, or Justin Tucker? Evan McPherson combined field goal yards. Oof. Okay. Combined. Okay. Yes. Well, yeah. I mean, there may not be a lot. It's not, I don't think it's be a high scoring game. Yeah. Not necessarily. Uh, I mean, Mixon and P Ryan combined. I mean, when you throw the, when you throw all the, uh, the passes in, I, I will, um, I'll run with Tucker McPherson. Uh, I mean, Baltimore only scores in increments of three. <laughs> as far as I know, so I I will um I'll run with Tucker McPherson. I will pass on Mixon, P Ryan, and I will boot Snoop passing yards. I'm gonna run with Snoop passing yards. I think uh, the Bengals get out to a lead, and the the Ravens get them out. The Ravens out of the game. They have no choice but to throw it around. It may, they may not be quality yards, but I, I think he'll get some. Um, I'll, I'll pass on Mixon and P Ryan, and I'll boot the Tucker McPherson. Um, Maybe they may be some field goals, but they 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 could be in the thirty forty range. That just those guys are great at plus fifty. Doesn't mean they're going to be kicking them on on Sunday. So right. the, what's your next one? The second one. So we're going back to the the kicker game. What will be greater? The game's longest field goal, the game's longest reception, or the game's shortest TD drive? <laughs> Good one. Okay, uh, I will say. Well, now shortest T. So okay, we can't count like a defensive score. I'm gonna say, yeah. I'm gonna say, what's longest? I am going to say the there's gonna be a long field goal. I'm gonna run with field goal. I'm gonna pass on shortest TD drive, and I'm gonna boot reception. I don't know why on any of those. <laughs> <laughs> so you at field goal td drive reception yes okay 
Uh, I'm going to go with shortest TD drive first. Um, I, after that, I will go longest field goal, and I will boot the reception as well. So we, we just differ on on the first two there. Um, and yeah, that's so those are my two those are my two run passer boots for this week. And a Bengals growler bet, of course, we're back into the Bengals growler bet. Nothing from nothing from last week, obviously. Uh, so we've got a we've got a new one. Of course, you can always send them to me via email. Your submissions, pdaner at theathletic.com. Please put the word growler in the head in the subject header somewhere. If you do it, um, if you do it uh, with a lot of creativity, we will read some of those off. It's been great to hear um, hear from everybody, including I met at, the, at our live event. Met uh, Ray White's dad, uh, who said we need to be calling him the Silent Assassin <laughs> uh, because he. I guess he wouldn't really talk to anybody much when he was younger, but he was just. He was just writing genius poems in, in the corner quietly, I believe. So the silent <laughs> assassin, we'll see what he's got for me in the subject headers. He's always given the good stuff. So um, great to hear see all the Growler people out there at 50 West that came and collected and, and conversed. It was a lot of fun at that event. Um, big big time over there. Um, also, hashtag Bengals Growler bet on Twitter. You can always send your submissions in there. Jay, what do we got? All right, so those of you... Watching on YouTube, this is new to you. People listening, you you heard I I talked to Jeff Zrebeck about this last week. Mark Andrews had 100 of the Ravens' 130 receiving yards, so uh, just an amazing number. So, what percentage of the Ravens' receiving yards will Mark Andrews have this week? Are we going to the decimal? How deep do I got? Yeah, go it's on one, this? one decimal point. One like, decimal. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Oh, tough in the new year, Jay. May, okay, uh, maybe we won't. Maybe we round up that decimal and you. Because you could even, if we want to, I mean, since there wasn't a growler last week, it got wiped out like everything else. Maybe maybe we not only don't do a decimal, we, we give a, a percentage or two-point buffer. No, 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 no. <laughs> Come on now. Let's not get crazy. Let's not get crazy. Let's just go with the percentage. All right. Uh, I'm going to go even. Even 50. 50, okay. An even 50. 60 of his 120 passing yards. <laughs> I'm going to go a little higher. I'll go 66. Um, they 66%? Just, they, 66%. Right. They do not have a lot of other options. Um, I know we're going to do predictions. I, I, I One stat I want to get to. Okay. Because we, we love the old-timey stuff. I will be quick. I was wondering if Bengals' Bills don't play, when was the last time an NFL season finished where a, t- two, a couple of teams – didn't play the same number of games as anybody else. Um, You got to go back to 1960. That's because it was AFL, NFL, AFL played 14, NFL played 12. Before that, you have to go back to 1935. And for some reason, the Eagles and Redskins played one fewer game. So I looked it up. The reason they played one fewer game, snow and rain. I don't know how big that storm was, but they didn't play. <laughs> but the one I really this I love this one. The the year before, 1934, the Cincinnati Reds only played eight games. And you want to know why? I do. They were 0 and 8, and they were suspended for not paying their league dues. 
and the St. Louis Gunners, an independent team, came in and played and finished their season. Those Reds were led by Cookie Tackwell and Tiny Feather. They were outscored 243-10. to 10. They played all four of their home games at four different stadiums, Crosley Field, Dayton's Triangle Park, Portsmouth's Universal Stadium, and Xavier's Corcoran Stadium. You can kind of see why they disbanded and just quit playing their paying their dues. Oh, you are checking all the boxes for me, Jay. You're naming the triangles are involved. Tiny yes. Feather, Tiny Feathers, <laughs> Tiny Feathers estate still looking for his checks from the Cincinnati Reds. He's going to show up and try to demand it from Castellini somehow. I think uh, Cookie Tackwell and Tiny Feather are no longer with us. Uh, his estate. Oh, his, his grandkids. Yeah. <laughs> we got we got great grandkids are are going to be knocking on the door of Great American Ballpark. Are you associated with the Reds? <laughs> They owe our family $8. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing, Jay. Excellent. Uh, all right. Uh, predictions. Let's wrap it up. Uh, yeah. I, I, again, um, I, I don't think the Bengals are going to be high scoring, but I do think they'll get over over 20. The Ravens struggle to get to 20. Um, I, I'm going to I'm gonna go Bengals 24, Ravens 16. I, I mean, I had them covering in our – fake betting segment. So I've got them covering here as well. Uh, 28, 13 Bengals. I just think they're the better team. I don't think, you know, I, I think it's a matter of, you know, we, we talked to Burrow yesterday. The question was like, I, you know, normally you ask about the Baltimore, like the, the opponent, and mm-hmm. it, it, Baltimore sort of mentioned at one point and there was like a, whew, we're playing ball. I guess I've looked at that a little bit. I don't know. I mean, there's just, and I think we've all kind of felt that way. Like we, mm-hmm. there's just been no time to even think about the Ravens. The good new, I guess, the good part of that matchup is they know you know who the Ravens are. Yeah, you know what you're going to face. You know what and this is a division match that you're very familiar with. Um, it doesn't take long to get recalibrated to know this is the Ravens' game plan. Um, I don't think the Bengals will have too much trouble, or at least they won't have as much trouble as Snoop Huntley will trying to move that offense. So yes. Bengals 28, Ravens 13. All right, Jay. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening and uh, bearing with us. It was great. Thanks for everybody that reached out about our podcast um, earlier this week uh, to see how we were doing and and just to check in and let us know they appreciated uh, what we did and all that stuff. We really appreciate that. It means a lot, uh, that people that did that. So thank you very much. Um, and uh, we will be back with the walkout uh, on Sunday uh, after the game against the Ravens. Sunday at 1, Jay. Just, whew, it sounds so good. It sounds does. so good. All right. Uh, looking forward to it. Um, so happy that we were able to talk about the the positive DeMar Hamlin mm-hmm. update here today and, and help everybody know that things are moving in the right direction there. And thanks again to all the medical professionals at UC Medical, everybody at the Bengals that, that helped. It's just awesome to see. So, all right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll talk to you next time. Have a good one, everybody.